Good morning, Cibolo Creek. Years ago, like 24 years ago, Cibolo Creek was about a church of uh, 150 people. We met over at Fair Oaks Ranch Elementary School and we had a guy leading worship at the time who introduced us to this couple who also did music. That other guy played the guitar and sang, his wife sang and played the cello. And they had a son who was just a child at the time, carrying a blankie and sucking his thumb. And they called him, and so we called him Punky. Well, Punky led you in worship today, and his dad, David, is this morning's teacher. David and his wife, Sarah, have been such dear friends of Cibolo Creek, always encouraging and always helpful when they can. I really admire and appreciate them both. David is the lead pastor at Great Oaks Fellowship in San Antonio. He's a great teacher, a great leader, and a great dad. A few weeks ago, I drove by Great Oaks Fellowship, and I noted it was completely surrounded by dozens of awesome after-church lunch options. Restaurants everywhere near David's church. And to tell you the truth, I, I was a little jealous. I think one of the things holding Cibolo Creek back from becoming this enormous church is that we only have like one or two restaurants near us for the after church crowd. Yeah, I'm sure that's all that's keeping us back from realizing our fullest potential. I am very grateful that David so enthusiastically agreed to come here to Cibolo Creek this morning and to share his heart with us. As you'll see, David is the real deal and he enthusiastically shares his heart in everything he does. How about a warm Sybil Creek welcome for my friend, David Martin. Well, well, well. It is good to be back home. And when I say that, I really mean that. Uh, you heard a lot of the vibe. You heard all the great things about me. Uh, let me tell you some of the horrible things. Um, no, we used to, my family and I, we would go to the elementary school. This is where, you know, this church started, if you didn't know that. And what's so funny, though, this morning, my son David Martin Jr. was the one who led us in worship this morning and did a killer job. But here's what's so funny. We walked into this room, and he remembers it as a kid, like Paul said, was talking about sucking his thumb and with a little blanket, right? He was basically a living Linus, okay? And on your way out, you'll notice there's a big intake grate over there on the wall. And he's like, Dad, do you remember what you told me about that intake grate over there on the wall? And I'm like, no, I don't even know where you're talking. What are you talking about? He's like, right over there. He said, when we came in here the first time, you told me that's where the, all the bad kids go. <laughs> So, I'm here to tell you, that's true. And, um, and so, if you do not pay attention and lean into this word, you're going to get sucked into the air take, uh, and that's where all the bad church people go. Um, what's wrong with me? That's my big opening, guys. Um, can we pray? And then we will just dedicate the rest of our time to the Lord. Father, thank you. There is no intake valve um, or great. Lord, your grace is wonderful. Oh, God, I just ask now that it's no longer I, that it, people see. I, I pray, Father, that they need to see you, Jesus. They need an encounter with you. They need to know your character, Lord. They need to understand the true presence of who you are and who your word says that you are, Lord. Father, we live in a time where there is a deceiver that wants to distort your character, Jesus. 
wants to distort who you are and what you came to do. We thank you that you're a God of liberation, love, grace, that you have paid our debt, and that we could sit here because of you, Jesus, and you alone, not by our own works. We could sing to you, we can honor you, and our life has purpose when we get out of bed. We thank you for that because you bought that for us. So Lord, may we lean into your word today, and may the truth of who you are be deepened in our hearts so that we can walk in greater confidence and greater peace knowing that you are who you say you are and your promises never fail. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and we all said together. Amen. Amen. I know I'm real churchy, man. Um, as you, as you could tell, um, I love church. Um, church can be rough though. And some of you, maybe you are new and this is maybe your first step back into church. The thing that you, I don't know if Paul said this or not, but when we were attending this church 20 plus years ago, this was the only place that when we were invited, we would come, but I wasn't going to church. And the reason why is because I'm a recovering pastor's kid, okay? And so I grew up in this world, and so there's nothing shiny about church. I've seen the worst of the worst, and I've seen some of the best of the best. But when my dad got out of ministry when I was 17, so did I. And for the next 13 years, I took the next 13 years off. And unless I was invited to church or dedicating our son Dave Jr., I didn't go because I really had a problem with church people. And I felt like, man, Sunday mornings are the best days to sleep in. Can we all just be honest? y'all really battled today. Um, and I'm proud of you if you're coming to the early service. But here's the thing. Sleeping in on Sunday is the best. And why would I want to get up, put on nice clothes, and get cleaned up to sit around with a bunch of fake people? That was my opinion of the church at the time. I had a near-death experience in 2002. And the Lord began to give me a different perspective of what church is about. And so if you've come here to find perfect people doing perfect things, you're going to be sadly mistaken. We are broken people redeemed by Jesus. And we are learning right along with you what it means to look less like ourselves and more like Jesus. Fair? So that's where we're at this morning. And so if you and I were having coffee, because there's just been the summer series, looking at the characteristics of who Jesus really is, what would you say if I asked you, who do you say Jesus really is? Now, I know what the church answer is, right? Well, he's the son of God. Hallelujah. Okay, let's get past all that. Who do you, who's Jesus to you like on a Tuesday afternoon when you're in 1604 traffic? Okay, that's when your real Jesus, your real beliefs about him show up, right? You're like, there is no hope for this world. Um, but here's the thing, how you answer that question really kind of determines how you interact with him. If you just see him as someone that you're just trying to keep happy so he doesn't smite you, well, then that's how you're going to be interacting with him. Like, for example, like our relationship, the context of what we think, it, it determines everything. Because, like for example, if you asked my son David, hey, who is your dad? He would say, he's my father, he's my parent, and he's the best parent ever. Hopefully something along those lines. If you asked my wife, who is David Martin, she would say, well, first off, he's the most handsome man alive. But in addition to that, he's also my husband. Um, she would not say that probably, but um, she probably said that when I had hair, but not anymore. Uh, she's very fickle. Um, if you ask someone at my church, who is David Martin? They would say he's my pastor. So how we see each other determines the relationship. And if I were to ask you the same question, who is Jesus, how would you answer? And guys, this is a question that's been going on for 2,000 years. 
This is the question during Jesus' day when he was walking this earth, performing miracles, challenging the religious systems of the day. The question is, who is Jesus? And everyone had an opinion. Everyone had an idea of who Jesus is, and that question is still on the table this morning, and that could be what led you into this building to begin with, is to find out once and for all in your life, is he who he claims to be? And that's a really important question because at some point, we will all take our last breath. Spoiler alert, but we're all going to die. And the question of who Jesus is, is the most important question that you need an answer to. Because your whole eternity can hinge on it. That's why I'm here preaching today and we started going back to church. Because when I was in the ER with major heart complications and they couldn't stabilize me, it's one thing to have coffee and talk about this, isn't it? It's a whole other thing when you have just a couple of minutes to make a determination, do I really believe this or not? Am I willing to stake my eternity on who Jesus says he is? So what the writer of John, the book of John, what he does is he goes through this amazingly meticulous process in his accounts in the book of John to be able to help answer some of these questions. And this morning we're going to look at Jesus the Good Shepherd. He's the good shepherd, but why? And why? Do, what gives him the right to call himself the good shepherd? Well, in John 10, Jesus is talking to a group of people just like us. This is where we pick up. Jesus says this, I assure you, and I, I most solemnly say to you, in other words, he said, I can't be any more serious than I'm being right now. Jesus is saying, he who does not enter by the door into the sheep fold, but climbs up from some other place on the stone wall, that one is a thief and a robber. So it seems like Jesus is establishing a territory going, this is off limits if I'm the shepherd. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, the protector, and look at this, the provider. Jesus goes on to say, the doorkeeper opens the gate for this man, and the sheep hear his voice, and they pay attention to it. And knowing that they listen, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out to pasture. That's a lot. Y'all catch that? Spurgeon says this, because we see a lot of identity, like this is who I am. This is how I lead. This, this is what happens when I lead my sheep. So there's ownership. And Spurgeon says this. He says, he who counts the stars and calls them by name is in no danger of forgetting his own children, guys. And this morning as I was praying, just during the worship time, I sense, a, I sense there's fear. I sense there's fear in many of our hearts this morning. And that there could be all sorts of reasons why legitimate or contrived. It doesn't matter. Fear just feels fearful. It immobilizes us, doesn't it? It paralyzes us. Fear has this way of dominating us. And this isn't even in my notes, but I sincerely feel that this is what the Lord gave me for you today, for this hour. Why are we afraid? Because at the core of it, we feel like it's our responsibility to be our own shepherds. Not because we're bad people, but we just don't know if we can trust who Jesus says he is because there's a lot riding in our lives. We're trying to keep our marriages together. We're trying to keep our kids out of jail, right? We're just trying to like make it to one next day. And I understand that. 
But I want to tell you something really quickly. What I'm about to share with you, I stake my life on it. And the reason why is not because I'm a paid professional, but because Jesus has shown me just in the last three years that he can be trusted. And he has called me by name. And he has kept me from destruction. Three years ago in 2020, I don't know if you caught it on the news, there was this little sick illness that was going around and um, it didn't make a lot of, but it was crazy, right? In the middle of that, our daughter, who was 11 at the time, was diagnosed with cancer. In the middle of that, that exposed every single weak spot in my marriage with my wife. Now bear in mind, I'm a pastor. Pastors are supposed to have all the answers and all figured out. I did not know if my wife and I were going to make it out of 2020 and married. I didn't know if I was going to make it out of 2020 with my daughter. I didn't know if I was going to make it out of 2020, period, if you follow what I'm saying. I'm standing here today as a trophy of God's grace, not because I'm special, but because he's proven this truth in my life. And I want to encourage you today so that you don't have to walk in fear. You may face fearful situations, but they don't have to have the last say in your life because you have a good shepherd that wants to lead you, calls you by name and knows where he wants to take you. Do we say amen in this church at all? Or is that just off limits? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I just, my gosh. Um, no, it's heavy. I know. I know. But let's get into it. Let's find out a little bit more now that we've kind of, now we feel like we know each other a little bit. Um, don't ever think again in your life, if you've said yes to Jesus in faith for your salvation, to just don't ever think again that he doesn't care about you. And he's not interested in the details of your life. That he's not, un, that he's not aware of the things that are wearing on your soul and on your mind and on your life this morning. You see, if Jesus really doesn't care about you, then that would make him the bad shepherd. But he calls himself the what shepherd? The good shepherd. Well, Jesus goes on to say this in John 10, 4. He says of himself, he says, when he, when he has brought all of his own sheep outside, he walks on ahead of him, ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because once again, they all know his voice. That's super important. There is an intimate understanding of discerning one voice from the other. Jesus goes on to say that my sheep, they will never follow a stranger. But they will run away from him. Why? Because they do not know the voice of strangers. And I think that we have to stop right here because the truth is, is if we're really being honest, how many of us would say, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Many of us, we, we, do, we have put our faith in Jesus. But if we're being super honest, we would say, I don't hear God talk to me. I don't hear him speak to me. I, I have no basis or context for what you're talking about. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they say, okay, I'm going to follow you. This morning, you are seeking answers. You need real-time, time-sensitive answers about what to do next. And you want to obey God, but you can't hear him speak. Is it that he doesn't talk anymore? No. I've learned in my own, vo in my own life that we often prioritize other voices above his. That's just the truth of it. You see, a sheep isn't turning on to watch Anderson Cooper at night to get all the information on how to see their lives, or Tucker Carlson, or whoever else. Fill in your own blank, okay? A sheep doesn't jump on social media to find the motivators and the influencers to tell them how to see their lives and themselves. A sheep doesn't even ring up their cousin when something goes sideways in their life first. 
You see, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these other things that you are needing will be added unto you. We have to tune our ears to the voice of God. And so maybe this morning you're very lonely, and you're like, I've lost friends, I've lost a spouse, I've lost, I don't have anyone in my life, and it feels very lonely. Could it be that this is the moment that you actually are able to hear the Good Shepherd speak to you so he can show you how he's going to put together the pieces of your life? Not to just bring you back to neutral, but to actually bless you more in this season of your life than the previous season? It requires us to get alone and ask him, Lord, speak to me. I need to hear your voice. Jesus says, as for my real sheep, they will never follow a stranger, but they'll run away. Why? Because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so Jesus says, again, I assure you most solemnly, I can't be more serious. Jesus says, I am the door for the sheep that leads to life. So, that's interesting because that doesn't sound like shepherd talk, but it actually is. And let me explain to you why. During that time, a shepherd, what they would have to do is they would have one access point for the sheep. So they wouldn't have a bunch of gates and a bunch of open, because why? They, they were responsible for the life of those sheep. And so at night, what the good shepherd would do is he would lay at the door of the sheep pen, the only one entrance that someone could get in. He would actually lay across the threshold. What he's basically saying is Jesus is saying, you know how a good shepherd lays down at the threshold to protect their sheep? He says, I will do that for anybody who comes to me. I, you have to get through me to get to them, is what he's saying. There's such a level of intimate ownership at a level in which he's willing to sacrifice his life is what he's saying for his sheep. Jesus is pretty amazing. He doesn't have to be this nice. You all know that, right? He could be any type of God that he wants. But he's saying, if you want to get to me, if you want to get to my sheep, you got to go through me. He's willing to fight for you. He loves you. And he's got a plan for your life. So not only is he gentle and kind, and that is so true, but he's also a fighter. And he's willing to fight to the death to protect you and to show you his love. He goes on to explain in John 10, 8, all who came before me are false messiahs. They're self-appointed leaders. They are thieves. They're robbers. But the true sheep don't listen to them. He says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and out freely and find pasture and spiritual security. So the statement that I made a moment ago about at some point you're going to take your last breath, that created some anxiety in some of you. And I understand that because it's a scary prospect to consider that there is an expiration date on each and every one of our lives. But what Jesus is promising, he's saying, I'm a door, and if you come through me to the Father, you can find the pasture in this life, but I will promise you that you also have spiritual security. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you on the other side of your last breath, because I have made the way for you to have the spiritual security. Jesus says, though, you have to be aware. He says, there is a thief, though, that is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came, however, that you may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, is that health and wealth talk or is that the words of God? He says, while you're here on this broken planet, 
I can even make a way to redeem your life to where while you're still alive here, you can be blessed. You can live in abundance and then go to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his own life for the sheep. Jesus says, once again, I'm the good shepherd. It's almost like he's trying to make a point. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know without any doubt those who are mine, my own, my own know me, and they have a deep, personal, abiding relationship with me. Then he reiterates this point. He says, even as the Father knows me, he says, I, and I know the Father. I lay down my very own life. I will sacrifice it for whose benefit? Jesus says, I will sacrifice my life for the benefit of the sheep. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, not only am I the good shepherd, but I will also become one of you. And I will become a sacrificial lamb. So not only is he the shepherd, the good shepherd, he comes into our broken world and becomes one of us and says, I will die in your place. I'll let the thief come and rob me and try to destroy me on the cross so that you can live, even though you're not perfect, even though you don't deserve a good shepherd. Because your sins have separated you from right relationship with my father, I will live a perfect life. I will live according to the law. I will not be a lawbreaker. I will not be a sinner. But I will allow myself to go as a sacrificial lamb to be nailed to a cross and suffer a death as if I was a lawbreaker so that we may live. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming at the very beginning of his ministry, this is what John the Baptist said of Jesus. It says, I'm the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. And then he sees Jesus walking, he goes, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The good shepherd is also the Lamb of God. Well, Jesus also didn't come, I just want to clarify, he didn't come for good squeaky church people. He loves us, don't get us wrong. But he came that all may have salvation. So even if you're a nasty, dirty little sheep this morning, <laughs> there's religious people that have a problem with you. Because they feel, look how I've worked so hard to stay pure and obey all the rules and vote the right way and wear the right shoes and live in the right zip code. I've worked hard for my, I should be. And then you got someone else who hasn't done any of that. They've done the opposite of that. And you go, well, hold on. I've worked really hard to get to this religious position. I know all the books of the Bible. I can recite them to you. Darn it, I go to Cibolo Creek Community Freaking Church. Shouldn't that count for something? Compared to this person? See, there's a religious spirit. The moment you get saved, there's the moment you're going to be tempted to start looking down your nose at other people who aren't. Well, the Pharisees saw people like this, and they had a problem because Jesus liked hanging out with these types of folks. The dirty, the rejected, the marginalized. This is the mess that's going on. And they go to the disciples, these religious people go to his disciples and go, why does your teacher eat with such tax collectors and sinners? In other words, another translation says scum. Why does your teacher eat with scumbags? But Jesus heard this. 
And he said, uh, excuse me, you mind if I jump in here and maybe have a part of this conversation? Those who are healthy have no need for a physician. Only those who are sick. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, I can do a hundred sit-ups because you have good health and you're young and you're handsome. But when you're 52 like me, I'm just happy to get out of the bed without hurting myself. You know what I mean? So it's easy to look down on people. Have you remember when you were, well, many of you are very young, but for those of us who are 50 plus and can buy the Luan platter, platter at a discounted rate at Luby's, okay, for that group, <laughs> do you remember when you were young and you would make fun of your parents or your grandparents when they got out of the chair because of the noises and cracks and snaps that you heard, right? Now, I get it. You see, it's easy to judge somebody if you see someone who's sick and go, oh, they're sick. They should take get better care of themselves. I think we can forget how Jesus found us. The Bible says you were dead as a doornail when he found you. You had no ability to resurrect yourself. This is why we needed a savior. Jesus said this. He said, go and learn what the scripture means. I desire compassion. The heart of God is he desires compassion for those who are in distress this morning. So if that's where you're at, God's heart is for you. And he's not mad at you because you can't get it right. He has compassion for you. He sees the distress that you're in. And he does not want sacrifice from you. Meaning, trying harder, trying to be a better person. Got to stop cussing. Got to stop doing this. He's like, stop trying to save yourself through your own efforts and sacrifices. You can't earn my love. It's yours. Whether you want it or not, I have it for you. Jesus said, I did not come to call to repentance self-proclaimed righteous people who see no need to change. You catch that? Jesus said, I came for sinners, those who recognize their sin and actively seek forgiveness. So that's the other side of the coin. So we go, yeah, Jesus hung out with potheads and prostitutes and this and that. Yes, but for what purpose? So that he could lead them to freedom because that was bondage. He wanted to lead them to holiness and righteousness. And the only activating agent on their part was to actively seek forgiveness and own up to the fact that what they were doing is sin. What is he saying? He says, I'm coming to save those who have no shepherd. Look at what it says in Matthew 36. Y'all okay so far? Y'all good? Okay. Matthew 9. There was a moment where Jesus is looking at a huge crowd of these types of people I just described. And look at what it says. He was moved with compassion and pity for them. Why? Because he realized, he saw that they were dispirited. They were distressed like sheep with no shepherd. A good shepherd can't stand seeing that happen. A good shepherd goes, where is the shepherd? Where is their protection? A sheep cannot survive on its own in the wild. It has no fangs. It doesn't have a bad disposition. All it can do is eat grass and be fluffy and edible. And Jesus sees this. He's a good shepherd. And he goes, someone's dropping the ball. It broke his heart. He felt compassion. He was dispirited and distressed. He couldn't help it. Why? Because this is what he was called and anointed to do and brought and sent by the Father to address. 
Isaiah 61 says before, hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up, it was prophesied that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor, the spiritually poor, those who were spiritually bankrupt because of their sin. It says, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And so the truth is, is if we can all be honest with ourselves this morning, the truth is, is that we were all at some point sheep without shepherds. We were at some point people who were poor and bankrupt in our spirit. We were broken. Some of us were held captive to terrible addictions and toxic behaviors until Jesus, the good shepherd, showed up. Isaiah explains that all of us are like sheep, and I know that we hate being compared to them, but the Bible seems to have a very clear understanding of our role and who we are and who God is. All of us are like sheep, it says in Isaiah, and we've all strayed away. We've all left God's paths to follow our own, and yet, look at what the Bible says, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But what I love about this good shepherd is he doesn't just love and lead those who follow him. He actually chases those who run away from him too. And while you may be sitting in this chair this morning, you know in your heart you've been running from God. And maybe you've allowed influences or situations or opportunities to hijack your relationship with God and you're pursuing and chasing other things that are promising you something better than what you think God can give you. And so as you sit here, you feel a hundred miles away from God. And I'm here to tell you, he's a, he'll chase you down. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. This is what Matthew 18 says, is that Jesus said this, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what is he going to do? He said, won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and then go out and search for that one who is lost? If he finds it, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He said he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. Jesus says, in the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. The psalmist explains this in Psalm 147. God wants to heal the brokenhearted this morning. God's will for your life is to heal your broken heart and to be able to bring restoration to things that you've brought destruction to in your life through your choices. And he wants to bandage your wounds. But there's one more group of sheep. And these are the sheep that just can't even imagine the idea at all that God would want anything to do with them whatsoever. And imagine that this good shepherd actually loves them. And some of you in here today, you feel that way. You're like, you don't understand. Maybe you don't understand. And I say that with love. I say that because I'm one of those people who find it still, even as a preacher, hard to believe that Jesus loves me. Because I see my criminal record. I see what I've done. I've seen my rebellion. I see what's in my heart today. And I'm like, God, why would you put a microphone in my hand of all people? But it's this extravagant way to also remind me as I preach this to you that he loves me. And maybe you feel the same way. And I can relate to that. There's this little story I've got to share with you before we wrap up. 
if you can relate. Um, have you heard this, the, the term bummer? Can I just see a show of hands just to make sure everybody understands? Right, okay, for those of us children of the 80s, that was like one of the big ones in the 80s, right? Bummer, man, you know? And so it has continued to stick in my vocabulary even though I'm in my 50s now. But people will say bummer. Do you know where this word actually comes from? I did not know until recently, and I'm so pleased to come all the way to Fair Oaks to tell you this. This is amazing. But the term bummer is actually a shepherding term. You're welcome. Price of admission right there. Right? Worth it. Here's where the term comes from. Every once in a while, a mother sheep, right, would have a baby, but a baby maybe is born defective or is really sick. And so what the mother lamb or mother lamb would often do is kick the little lamb, that little newborn away and reject it because it's ill. It's got something wrong with it. And so it rejects it and just kind of lets it die and starve to death. But as many attempts as that little baby lamb, sheep, tries to reconnect with its mother, it's rejected over and over and over again. This is how nature has got it set up. Once that mother has rejected that baby, it has made up its mind. There is no way you can make that baby reconnect with its mom. The mom will not allow for it. So what will happen is because the baby lamb is so dejected, what will happen is it's not a matter of nourishment. It's a matter of having a broken heart. I know I'm bumming you out. I'm bumming myself saying this. Bummer, right? But that little lamb is so heartbroken that it begins to hang its head so low that it looks like it's got something wrong with its neck. That's what rejection does. Didn't it? Think about it. These are called bummer lambs. Here's what has to happen. A shepherd has to intervene. If this lamb has any hope of living and having any type of quality of life, a shepherd has to intervene. Otherwise, that lamb's going to die rejected and alone. And so what the baby or the good shepherd has to do is it has to take that little lamb into his arms, that little sheep, and he's got to hand feed it. And he's got to actually restore that little sheep, that little lamb, back to full health. But there's one key that has to be done in order to fully restore the spirit of this lamb. The shepherd, several times a day, in, amidst, in the midst of feeding it and taking care of it and healing whatever is broken and messed up, it's got to take that little, that, little, that little lamb and put it next to its chest and that little lamb has to hear the voice and the warmth of the presence of that shepherd. That over time, there's a bond that is created with the shepherd between the shepherd and the lamb. And then over time, once that lamb realizes it's got a good shepherd and it's got a place in this world and there is a safety, there's an intimacy, that little bummer lamb will start lifting its head again. And that's when the shepherd knows it's ready to be put back in the sheepfold is the moment it realizes it has a good shepherd. Here's the kicker about this. I know it sounds too good to be true. You can look this up on YouTube because YouTube always tells you the truth. So here's the thing. When the shepherd goes out in the field and he calls his sheep, guess who's the first one running? It's the bummer lamb. Or the lamb formerly known as the bummer lamb. Why? Because it knows the sheep's voice or the shepherd's voice. There's intimacy. There's no question. The good shepherd has proven it's a good shepherd. Not just with word, but with deed. Why do I share this with you? 
Because Psalm 3.3 seems to point about the good shepherd for us in our lives. Oh Lord, you're a shield around me. My glory. Look at this. You're the one who lifts my head. I don't know who needed to hear that today. But I want to close with Psalm 23. And I think sometimes we just associate this psalm with a funeral. But today I want you to hear it from a different perspective, understanding who the good shepherd really is. And I'm going King James Version on y'all. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the good shepherd. And so this morning, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't know how to else finish the sermon. But maybe this morning you need to be reminded of just the truth you have forgotten. You know this deep down. But when you walk out of here in a minute, I want to let you know. Surely goodness and mercy will be following you. Back into your car, back into your home, back into your work, back into your relationships. Wherever you go, the good shepherd, if you've said yes to him in faith for salvation, you belong to him. He takes great pride and ownership of your life. Some of you have been running. Today he's found you. Are you willing to come back home? But there are those in here, and you thought that being a good moral person is what made the shepherd like you, and I'm here to tell you, and we've discovered today, that's not true. This morning, if you want to have a relationship with the good shepherd, do like the broken people did that the religious people hated. They admitted their sin, and they repented, and they allowed Jesus to become their shepherd. The war can be over for you. If you say yes to Jesus and let him become your Savior and Lord. So if you want that, pray with me right now. And it's not the words that save you, but it's God is looking at the sincerity of your heart and he longs to say yes to you. If you want to be saved, pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, just tell him in faith. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I'm asking you to save me. Become my good shepherd. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And I'm asking you to make me your child. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I make you the Lord and King of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you just prayed that prayer, I'm not going to make you do anything weird, but there are cards underneath each and one of your chairs. And I'm just going to ask you to write your name, your first name, some way to contact you. And just in the body here, just say, I just made Jesus my good shepherd. And then someone will follow up with you just to cheer you on into your next steps. If you want to be prayed with, our prayer team is going to be up here. But would you stand and let me just pray a blessing over you before we finish up today.
Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that your words are proven to be true. God, I pray that every single person listening right now in the name of Jesus would walk out of here, Lord, having a renewed sense of your voice and your spirit. I pray blessings over them, protection over them. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to lead them as the good shepherd that you are. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray and I ask these things. Amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a wonderful Sunday.